0: listening to the traditional outdoors podcast.
1: Wow. Episode number 15, Nick. I know. W- would you have thought it?
0: No, I wouldn't have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and now they just seem like they're, I don't know, they're just rolling along. It seems like they're, they're going faster. The, the further we go, the, the more frequent it seems like they are, even though they're every other week, I mean, excuse me, every week.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, and we're trying, we're starting to figure out what we're doing. so yeah everything is going great and we're getting we're getting awesome guests and and having great conversations and telling great stories lots of great stories
1: lots of great memories um so you uh you've been working on creating some new
0: memories of your own yeah man i've been fly fishing a lot um i mean this is a great month to do it and and May's a pretty good month to do it um, but I've been hitting the trout streams quite a bit around here cause I'm so close. So ducking out to go and to go fishing has been easy for me to do. But just to back up really quick. Um, the first thing I bought was the biggest, the biggest thing that happened was I, I went out that first time with John Mudry and, um, Rob Jones, uh, friends of the show, good friends. Um, and I, I bought a, like a Cabela's elite rod or a Prestige which is $119 combo and you know, it got me in the water. And um, then I was talking to, to John about it afterwards. And he said, I was talking about getting new line for it or something like that. Cause I'd read that the best upgrade that you can do for a cheap rod is to get real, put good line on it. And he said, well, you know what you could do is just buy another rod. <laughs> 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 and he goes, seriously, he said, I had a prestige. It, it, it it's okay he says it's really stiff it doesn't it you can't feel it load and he's like for a newbie he said you you really want to get something that you can feel load um so we went fishing a couple more times and actually the first time we went after I went with Rob and, and and John John and I just went once and uh we fished for all, all morning long till about you know 12 and we were talking about rods and he goes and he goes, well, the kayakers are coming now. What do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I kind of want to go to Cabela's. <laughs> so we went to Cabela's, and they took they took the combo back. In fact, I got to keep all the extras that came with it, and they just took the rod back and the um, the reel back, and um, I got all the all the money and credit, and I upgraded what I got. I upgraded my rod and reel. And I ended up getting, I casted a lot, and Bob, who works at the Cabela's, they're the fly guy. Um, <laughs> the fly boy, guy. That's what they call him. He's like one of the few guys that actually <laughs> fly fishes there, I guess. Um, right. He took, he, you know, John was pulling rods off the rack and stuff like that and giving them to me to try. And I actually almost knocked over an entire rack of rods on a backswing. And Bob's like, we should probably go outside. That's <laughs> never happened before. <laughs> And so that made me feel real good. So we go in the parking lot and we have two or three rods. We had a, we had a TFO, we had a, um, uh, a couple Cabela's rods, I think, or maybe it was just the TFO and the Cabela's rod. We were looking at Reddington's, we were looking at all kinds of things. So, um, one of the rods we had, the, the two rods were very different. The TFO was more like a Nymphin rod. It was a little stiffer and then both four weights. And then the, um, I, we grabbed a Cabela's Vector and that was like a faster action rod um, that was really, really whippy at the end. And Mm -hmm. I sat there and cast it out in the parking lot, you know, doing long, ridiculous haul casts and stuff like that, you know, just trying to, you know, terribly, but just trying to get my, get a feel for the rod. And I ended up going with the Vector. So I got that. And then the RLS reels, which are cast reels, um, were on sale for $71 because they're being discontinued. And, um, we checked that out and I ended up going with that too. And the, and they were balanced perfectly together. So I got a new rod and a new reel and I put, um, line out, you know, we got, they spooled all the line and everything for me, got all that set, um, got some leaders and yeah, I was off to the races and it was an immediate improvement. Um, I've been casting out in my yard every couple days. And, um, when I first got the rod home, I really practiced a lot. I must've thrown for two, three hours. Um, and then went fishing a few more times. And, and the last couple of times I went, you know, John was saying, you know, your casting is like night and day. He's like, it's a lot better that all that will work. And, you know, between that and all the videos that I've been watching, think I'm, I'm getting a lot better and I'm starting to catch fish and, you know, every time I go out and, learning different things and i'm really trying to focus on a couple casts before i move on to other things but um it's been fun man um going again friday and i'm looking forward to it um well uh, i never would have i never would have thought you would have I,
1: I i could see you getting into it when we when we uh started talking about uh having cameron mortensen on and and even before that when we were talking about the format for the podcast and and the type of guests we would have on i was like i wonder how many things nick's going to want to pick up that he that uh he hears from from guests so that's that's really cool and i know you you have definitely had it on the brain because i uh, i think you were planning on actually going fly fishing before you went Uh, and showed up at compton's last week so
0: yep in fact i i didn't go that morning that um i went sunday right after we got back from uh from compton father's day i it, it was hot it was humid i almost didn't go um but i had a great time um i got into the water and it was nice on the water traffic wasn't too bad um i had a spin cast guy in front of me who was walking around a lot um that probably hurt my chances but after i got after they came out of the water i went further and everything got a little bit better and once everything cooled down um it was great fishing and then uh, like i said going friday again and trying to get out in june as much as possible and i'm looking at getting a um i'm looking at getting a a six weight or seven weight now too to get into some bigger fish uh to throw some streamers my rod doesn't throw streamers very well um it's really meant for it's a trout rod like you know smaller trout rod like that's that's what it's for um and just the feel of it. Uh, it's just so, I mean, when the current takes it, I feel everything. Um, it's, uh, it's a great rod, but I want something a little bit, a little bit fatter. And, uh, so yeah. And at some point I'm going to have to try glass and that being said, Steve, you got a, you got a rod coming, don't you?
1: I do. I've got, uh, a gentleman by the name of Vern White, uh, who does, um, I think it's White's, white's customs is his is his facebook page but uh he and i chatted right after the the cameron mortensen episode and and he was showing me some rods that he has done and i honestly just i couldn't i couldn't not order one so i ended up ordering a a four weight from him it's a it's a glass blank with a, a carbon core uh seven foot six inch four weight and I've already got the reel here for it. I picked up a, a Ross LT 1.5 reel, so it should be a very sweet combo. He, the reel seat he he made on the, um, on the rod is a, uh, purple heart with with uh, white acrylic and ebony. So it's
0: it's almost reminiscent of a laminated bow the way he's got it put together. But it looks really. Well, oh, cool. it's an absolutely gorgeous rod. And and Vern's in Michigan, isn't he? He is. That's funny that you're getting a custom-made rod built in Michigan.
1: Well, and the the um, the two weight that I picked up uh, right right after we talked with Cameron, I also bought from a gentleman actually in Grand Rapids, not far from you. That's so. uh, Scott, right? That's Scott i actually contacted That's him rod. yesterday <laughs> thinking about thinking about
0: getting him to build your your six or seven weight. i'm thinking about it i'm thinking now Is he is he just is he is he building you a glass rod or is he building you a graphite rod well he so
1: he the the two weight that i got from him before he had actually built for himself and he just decided he preferred a three weight but he also had a uh that was a seven foot six inch two weight he also had a six foot uh two in, uh two weight blank and we we did some trading back and forth and uh he's he's actually going to end up building that one for me too but i don't know when he'll do it i'm not no i'm not in a rush for it it's it's just going to be a, a small creek rod which i i don't fish a lot of but it's really nice in some of these mountain streams to have a, a very short
0: rod yeah so. his comment was like i'm like i heard you're building a, a rod for steve and he goes yeah very slowly <laughs> yeah i'm not
1: I'm not in a hurry, but it's actually going to be pretty too he got uh the real seat he he's using for that one i can't remember the wood but it's got hints of of green uh in the in the burl and the the rod blank itself is a, a, a really light um sage green mm-hmm. and then he's doing um the wraps are going to be um uh, red and I think it's red and either red and
0: red and gray, I believe, is what we decided on. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be sharp. It looks awesome from the pictures I've seen. And you got traditional outdoors put on there, didn't you? No, that's that's oh, no, a one that's that's ver- doing. I'm sorry, I got confused. Um yeah, Scott it. said that um he's gonna get back to me um on that. But uh it would be cool to have one made. Um you know, and I just want a very simple one. Um and then again, this is just to throw uh, to throw streamers or get into some bigger trout um, and stuff like that. Now, if I, I I think John said I should go ahead and look at getting a nine at some point too, or an eight, um, if I want to get into some serious steelhead fishing or some bass fishing or something like that. And um, I know Buchene, John buchin has got quite a few rods that are some meat slingers. So you know, if that and if that's the case, then. You know, maybe I can get into one of those. Funny thing is, though, is John really fishes some really small, tiny flies. So, you know, from what I've heard from Watt, and you can correct me on this if you want, um, from what I've heard of rod actual weight is that it's mainly in the cast, right? And in the line. You can fight a fish with pretty much anything, but getting the big flies out there is more difficult on a lighter rod. Uh, Is that true? Yes. Yes. Larger
1: flies are more difficult on a lighter rod. Yes, you can play larger fish on a lighter rod. But, one, the fight's going to take longer, and obviously you can go too far with that. And take so long if you're especially if you're practicing catch and release you don't want to play the fish mm-hmm. too long because then there's you know they're they're stressed out a lot more but yep um, um. and you and you know you could also if you wanted to save your money uh, a little bit i think um scott will build rods based on i know he'll do blue halo uh, blanks because i've talked to him about building me a seven weight sometime way in the future probably next year but uh he does he does offer some other blanks as well so that's just another Oh, and those
0: blue halo are gorgeous um i follow them on our instagram account and it every everything i'm like oh man i would love to have one of those i'm going to get a glass rod at some point but that's why i keep thinking i'm like well maybe i should just make this rod glass um but i think at some point i'd like to do what you did too and get like a two weight or something Uh, something that would be because i really honestly what i'm loving the most and i know i'm new into this but i love catching just those normal brown trout in in the rogue here um you know i i'd like to get into some bigger fish yep but i i i could honestly do that all day you know
1: and the the rod that you have now is a what weight is it four well, I would normally tell you to go to a three. That's the that's the weight that I enjoy fishing the most for the smaller fish. But if you've already got a four, then, yeah, I'd probably look at
0: getting a two. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about a five weight, too. I know, because when I got the Prestige, I got a five weight. And I mm-hmm. immediately did better with the four weight um, just because I could feel a load. Um, but, yeah, I'm like, getting a five or a three doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when I've got a four. And, like, I'm learning all about this stuff. So and it, one of the things I've found is that there's so many opinions on what rods to fish and when and what you can do with different rods and it's not a whole lot different than bow hunting where well here's the thing
1: <laughs> they they make they make rods from zero to like 12 or 13 weight mm-hmm. so you've got plenty of you got plenty of rods to, to to purchase over the next several
0: years <laughs> in the in the strategies on length of tippet and leader and line and what lines to use and all this stuff is just just a rabbit hole so i'm just kind of learning as i go and enjoying it right now and kind of picking up little tidbits as it is but um one of the things that i'm fascinated with right now is and i think is paramount for me to learn is just the insects and what eats them you know and when at what time um we we have a lot of a lot here and you know just talking to our guest glenn um he's he's got some great strategies on what to use and there are some great books on the subject that are just like what hatches and when and and when to fish certain things and at what times of the night and day and and i want to start committing that stuff to memory and building my fly collection um right now i'm kind of minuscule on my flies and actually i talked to our good friend tom and co-host at large and he said that he no longer needs his fly tying stuff so he said that he's he's tied so many flies over the years he could he couldn't possibly use them all so he's going to bequeath his fly tying gear to me so i can start learning how to tie flies um well and i'm pretty that's awesome yeah, i'm pretty excited about that in fact i'd like to get together with tom we don't live very far apart um we only live i mean he's in you know this but our listeners don't he's in grand haven and i'm in rockford that's not that far away um and i want to i want to head over to his house and and spend some time with him and learn and just talk to him and hang out and and i'd like to i'd like to learn some stuff because tom's been fly fishing for so long too um and like everything else tom really nerds out about stuff
1: (laughs) he does and it doesn't surprise me that he's he's Tied a lifetime supply of flies, so that that's just that's so tough. Yeah,
0: it is. It's, it's very tough. But so,
1: but I guess we we should probably jump into our guest. So uh, let's let's just get over and, and start our conversation with Glenn. yeah. Our guest tonight is Mr. Glenn Blackwood of Rockford, Michigan. He resides there with his wife of 26 years, Kathleen, his daughter Megan, a son, Ian and along with two field-bred English Springer Spaniels, Grace and Laurel. He also has his midlife crisis, that's his words, not mine, Bosco, a coal black English Cocker Spaniel. Now for the last 30 years, Glenn has been a fly fishing instructor, guide, national sales manager, and now owns and operates the Great Lakes Fly Fishing Company, also in Rockford, Michigan. Now Glenn is also known for his knowledge of American sporting literature and authors the Pages Past column for Upland Almanac magazine. He also does book reviews for Ruffed Grouse Society's publication and as a collector, dealer, and appraiser of angling and shooting books he has lectured on the topic and appraised collections across the Midwest. When Glenn is not involved in fly fishing he enjoys sporting literature and wing shooting Uh, collecting original sporting art and spending time with his family now while i'm still here in georgia roasting in 95 degree temperatures nick is actually on location with glenn at the great lakes fly fishing company so let's get this party started how's it going guys
2: well it's wonderful and it's certainly not that hot here in michigan tonight
1: it was last weekend. Cause I was yeah, gonna, I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah, you know, it's uh,
2: <laughs> it's a typical Michigan uh, kind of June. Uh, we bounce back and forth from uh, extreme heat and humidity, I guess, to uh, to very comfortable temperatures right now.
0: Mhm. It didn't stop me from going on the water Sunday either. It wasn't actually that bad.
1: Well, I'll be honest. I was. I was giving nick and prepared to give nick a much harder time about the the temperatures in michigan because everybody's always talking about how hot it is and we drove up um wednesday night and when i stepped out we stayed with another friend of ours in grand haven and i stepped out of the car in grand haven to fill the car up with gas and it was 65 and it was i mean i got a chill just getting out of the car uh from the 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 temperature change and uh was talking about with my other friend how how much difference there was in the temperatures and it was going to be really nice and he said no not so much once you get away from that lake all bets are off and sure enough it was it was pushing 100 on saturdays
2: you know lake michigan is uh, the great temperature equalizer uh, you know when it's cold cold in a lot of places the coastline's warmer and when it's hot hot in other places The coastline's cooler because of the thermodynamic of the lake and uh it's one of those wonderful things that mother nature has created uh so it's always a little bit different off the shore from the lake well you've got some good you've got some good
1: trout waters nearby too that you can you can definitely get into to cool off which is also we certainly do well, Glenn, I know uh, we didn't really uh, bring you on here to, to talk about the weather differences between between Michigan and Georgia. I think most most people pretty much are aware there are some there. So let's just uh, let's dive right in and uh, let's start out with you kind of giving us your your fly fishing story. How did you how did you get started? And and I know it's a long journey, but you know how you ended up. Owning your own fly fishing shop.
2: Well, really, uh, it it all goes back to uh, my grandfather uh, and a bunch of great uncles and old men in my life that taught me great things and bad habits at the same time. But uh, my grandfather, my paternal family is originally from central Pennsylvania, uh, about 12 miles to the west of State College pa where penn state is and my great-grandfather was in the timber business and my grandfather learned to fish as a kid uh to uh feed lumbermen in timber camps and as he grew up and uh, started his career he was an aeronautical engineer with the federal government uh based out of wright patterson air force base we always kept a presence in central north central pennsylvania and uh I grew up there on a bunch of spring creeks and freestone streams, uh, fishing wild trout, uh, spring Creek being a famous one, uh, slate run, cedar run, pine Creek in the Tioga, like coming County areas, uh, in a bunch of small little backcountry freestone streams that are out there. And, uh, that's kind of been with me, uh, the rest of my life and, uh, was the epicenter of what I do today
1: so i guess you know with with regards to fly fishing and transitioning from from pennsylvania now living in michigan you know you've obviously fished probably all over the country um you know tell us a little bit about what your favorite streams are that you've you fished in and and maybe give us a little background as to what makes them special
2: well uh, certainly all streams are special Anywhere where there's cold water and wild trout are special, whether it's in Michigan, whether it's in Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, the Smokies, Yellowstone, which is the greatest piece of property in the public trust, in my view. uh, They're all special. If you ask me where what I hold the dearest, it's always going to be those freestone streams uh, in spring creeks of Pennsylvania because that's where my epicenter is. Uh, That's where I learned to fish. That's where my mentor memories, whether it's my grandfather or great-uncle Gib or Foxy Steer, um, Blanchard Holt, Pat Holt, I I can go through a litany of old men that people don't understand and, and nor should they. But that's kind of that epicenter um and not to sound morose or macam but uh, my grandfather before he passed away um he caught his la- i can tell you take you exactly to where my grandfather caught his last fish uh, my father passed away two years ago uh, i can take you to where he caught his last wild trout Um, and pontificate about the stories that went with that. Uh, But that epicenter of family, of faith, of wild fish, of cold water, of conservation um, is much more important to me than uh, the biggest fish or uh, how many fish that you catch in a day. Um, Each fish is special. Each wild fish is special. And, uh, you know, it, it's not the largest fish I ever caught in my life or the most fish I ever caught in my life that I remember. Um, it's the, the special fish or the hard fish that, uh, that become uh, important to us, or to me anyway.
0: Wow. I mean, you're, you're really speaking like, I mean, I'm just, I kind of just hear speaking in like literature and stories already. I can tell you're a big fan of outdoor literature and the heart of everything that we believe in at traditional outdoors. And you're already, you're, I know how writers talk and you are talking like a writer right now. So I gotta ask you, when did you start writing about fly fishing?
2: Uh, you know, I, I'm a really pent up outdoor writer. Uh, though I uh, write a couple columns and have done some things. Um, I started writing uh, you know, off and on back in college and have had some things published uh, across there and had some successes. But again, what I like to write about, and and, and I'm a storyteller. I'm a heck of a lot better at talking verbal communication than I am at putting something on pages, and, and I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, is it commercially... Viable in a lot of places today. Um, it's more technical how to go here, catch this, do that. And I have strong views on that and, and teach a lot of people to fish and, and have helped a lot of people succeed in this sport. Um, not trying to be boastful or arrogant, but it, I think it's my track record speaks for that. Uh, but the things that I like to write about all have a basis of family, faith, experience out of doors more so than in my case, being here in Rockford, Michigan, going to the rogue river. And this is where you park and this is where you stand. And this is what fly you fish. And this is how you succeed. Um, uh, we help people with that every day, but that's not what I want to write about. Uh, uh, the things that, that I like writing about are, are, I guess, have a little more character development and a little more personal meaning, uh, across the board.
0: I'm the same way. Um, when I first started writing about outdoors things, there was two ways I could go and I, somebody, somebody told me this early on, they said, well, you can either write and you can do how to writing. And that's how they always refer to it as how to writing step by steps. And he said, you know, a lot of people can do that or you can write literature. And in the case of bow hunting, it was, there's a lot of people doing one, but not writing a lot of literature. Um, and that's kind of, you know, I grabbed that right away. I was like, I want to tell stories. I want to develop characters. I want to talk about the people I'm fishing with. I want to talk about the people I'm hunting with. Um, well, fishing with now back then it was just hunting. Um, but that's always been the kind of st- I've always wanted to be a storyteller and unlike you I'm better on paper than I am telling stories <laughs> is that you obviously you sound like an orator um well
2: you know one thing in in I know we're going to talk about fly fishing but I, I'm going to tell you a story here and in, in uh, I've talked about this before but years ago I had a, a chance to do a fly fishing school with two gentlemen that are now deceased. One was Ernest Schwiebert, uh, the famed angling writer who wrote lyrical things like uh, uh, Remembrances of Rivers Past and the two-volume set of Trout, as well as Carl Richards, who lived here in Rockford, Michigan, who wrote, along with Doug Swisher, Selective Trout and Fly Fishing Strategies, Selective Trout being the most impactful book that's been written about fly fishing uh, in the last 50 60 years without selective trout we would have never in my views we would have not had the renaissance and fly fishing that we have today and we were talking about writings and carl was more technical how-to and mr Swebert was more lyrical and i mentioned john Tainer foote and some other sporting artists or authors of the the 20s 30s if you will and mr Swebert made this point that the reason that those writings were so strong is they had 20, 30, 40, 50 years of writing experience and 20, 30, 40, 50 years of shooting and fishing experience. And when John Tainerfoot or Corey Ford or Burton Spiller or himself or Robert Traver, any of the great sporting artists, Gene Hill that we think of, blended the two together, they were pretty magical. But at this time, to date when this was, he said anybody that had a word processor from IBM predates computers, a word processor from (laughs) IBM (coughs) that had caught two fish thought they could write a fly fishing story. And that really resonated with me. And I think if you look at the the overall genre of sporting books – why is Robert Rourke and The Old Man and the Boy considered a classic? Why is Rourke's Horn of the Hunter considered a classic? It's because Robert Rourke was the best writer that our country had ever seen, in my view. Again, I'm being really opinionated here, and for the listeners at home, I am opinionated. Um, you can agree or disagree, but these are my views, and I'm not trying to offend you, but I'll tell you that's how they are. Robert Rourke wrote a weekly column for Scripps Howard. He wrote short stories that appealed in Field and Stream, the old man and the boy stories. He wrote best-selling novels, such as Poor No More, The Honey Badger. He wrote screenplays for Something of Value, which stored Rock Hudson in a ruhu. okay? He was a writer, but he also was an outdoorsman and when he blended those together as he did in the old man and the boy stories and the old man and the boy grows older stories they're really magical so that's a long way around the barn on uh, my views of of sporting writing well
0: you've got great taste because you mentioned some outstanding writers um it's funny how you mentioned well not funny but how i think a lot of the times you see today is you either have a writer who also hunts and fishes or somebody who hunts and fishes who writes about it. And you're right about the blending thing. And I don't know if that's an experience thing that needs to happen to blend them successfully. You kind of got to have two schools, but you see you don't see them blended very often. Well, and when I, you do, you get something special.
2: Yeah, I think there are some people out there in 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 the genres that I'm familiar with uh, and I specialize in fly fishing, wing shooting that do that, but it it takes a little bit of time. You know, I'm 55 years of age. What I thought I knew at 25 about this sport, whether it's shooting birds over dogs, grouse and woodcock primarily. And, and for those who are listening, there's three reasons that I live in Michigan and that's trout, grouse and woodcock. Um, But whether it's shooting birds over dogs or, catching fish on a fly what i've learned from the time i was 25 when i thought i was really good now i was aggressive and hard charging and could set the world on fire to 30 years later it's a much different perspective and what i want to what should i say pass along is totally a different view point now than it was then um am I getting old no I, I don't think I'm getting old uh, I think I've just grown up a little bit
1: I was getting ready to say but you're you're as you age and and I say this because I, I, I see it myself but as you age you start looking at the world through different lenses and things mean things mean different different things to you now than they did 15, oh, 20 years
0: there's no question about that. Yeah, but that's kind of, um, I'm, I'm currently finishing up a book, and my book's called Life in Longbows, And I wrote that from the perspective of a beginner, and it's a memoir from when I picked this up late in life at the age of 27 up until now. And it's how I grew through all those years, because I wrote those stories early, and I kept writing them, and I just collected them, and I, and I wrote them all together so they had a point. but. Never during that process did I ever think, I'm going to speak like an expert on this. That's not who I was. Or did I ever try to make myself look better than I was? It was more of the bumbling amateur novice up until where I am now, which I bumble a little less in my mind. <laughs> well, uh, but I think that's important. you got to be who you are at you that know, time.
2: You know, the, the thing of it is, is we all bumble in the outdoors. Uh, anybody i mean again you have lots of different views and i'll come back to to fly fishing and i was taught this at an early age if you misrepresent i'm going to use the term misrepresent the number of fish you caught or the size of a fish or whatever the scenario is by and large nobody cares i spend six days a week in my fly shop and i hear lots of fishing stories Okay. (laughs) And I'm happy when somebody catches a good fish or catches a lot of fish or someone finds success. But if somebody makes a a 14-inch fish 16 inches or a 16-inch fish 18 inches, it it, it doesn't really matter. The only person they're lying to is the person that's looking them back at or misrepresenting, I should say, is the only person that looks them back in the mirror. Um i mean i i can tell you that and i is it embarrassing is it disappointing um i spent a night floating the Asabo river here uh, a week ago with a really nice guide some really good friends i didn't land a fish okay i didn't land a fish it was off it was catatonic it was sullen we all go through those days um uh, now i could sit here and say i did this or that but at the end of the day the only person i'm bsing is myself because no one else cares if glenn blackwood catches a small fish a medium fish a big fish or lots of fish they it just doesn't matter it's all the personal ethics that you have and what you take back from the being outside
0: yeah steve and i have had this conversation too where it's more like well you know we want to do it our way you know, we do a lot of hunting on public land and things like that. I hunt a lot from the ground. Um, you know, it's never—I've never done it the easy way. I've always jumped right into the hardest way I could possibly do something, or I was willing to go. And and Steve's from that mold pretty much too. And the, it's funny you mentioned the misrepresentation thing because that's Steve—we've talked about this often, haven't we?
1: We we have, and I—in fact, I was sitting here, kind of rolling, listening to what you were saying, Glenn, and rolling it through my head. And it's 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 different. In a way, it's different because, you know, the uh, fishing, a lot of times, uh, and I'm not speaking for you, Glenn, so you can definitely speak in here, but, you know, catch and release is kind of the the, the big thing now. Um, I have no problem keeping, as long as it's it, it's legal to do so, keeping a fish, if I'm going to have it by the campfire, you know, beside the stream later that evening, that kind of thing, but a lot of times, and most of the time with trout, it's catch and release, I'm a hunter first, and we'll probably get into that in a bit, but uh, I do love fly fishing, but I am a hunter first. And one thing that kind of equates to this that just really irritates me is when you when you see someone say, well, you know, I, I, he wasn't that big. Um, you know, I shot this buck, and, it, you know, he wasn't that big. And it's almost like they're apologizing for um, something that they've done that I take very seriously is they took that animal's life. But it's the same it's the same thought process as I think what you're saying is you know be proud of what you've accomplished and own it and again it goes back to the experience. I mean, yeah, if
0: you didn't get any satisfaction why did you do it
2: exactly you know the the thing that and I teach a fair number of people to we have private lessons or tutorials here to fish uh, to teach people to fly fish and whether they catch a small fish or a big fish I always come back to, and I, I know this is one of the questions that, that you wanted to talk about was hatches and why fish feed on what they do. All fish are professional eaters. Fish don't understand catch and release. I don't care if it's a bluegill, a trout, a salmon, a steelhead, a northern pike, a bass, a bonefish, a grouper, or a tarpon. Fish don't understand catch and release. They believe that if they eat something unnatural. They get thwapped in the head, served mm-hmm. beside a side of rice with a nice Chardonnay. End of discussion, okay? <laughs> and it, the audience can't see my belly, but I'm, I'm a professional eater, too. Uh, you know, I, if, if I was a trout, I would be the most unselective, attractor, fly-eating thing that you could find. But anyway, with that being said, so if you're just getting started in fly fishing and whether you're down south bluegill fishing or brim fishing you're fishing a pond or you're here in michigan or pennsylvania or montana and you're fishing for trout or whatever it is and you fool a fish okay that's the epitome of the sport right there because those fish have to eat to learn their wages they have to eat to earn their wages and if you fooled them That's the big thing right there. So equate that to deer hunting. If you fool a big doe to come in close to you where you have a shot with a longbow, or you a spike horn or a four-point or the buck of your dreams... That becomes the ethical, moral decision whether you're going to come to full draw and release the arrow or not. Because you've already won the battle. In my mind, and I'm not a bow hunter. I mean, I run gun dogs for grouse and woodcock and, and that's a whole different game. But you've already won the battle. That's what it's all about. After that, it's just the decision of what you... The next step uh, I mean I this is gonna sound really stupid uh, to a lot of people but you mentioned that black dog that I've got this this little cocker spaniel it's a field-bred cocker spaniel it's way too long of a story but I can tell you that if Steve Pulios is right here he witnessed me two or three times this year where that dog had a hard flush and good dog work on a bird that I had a chance to shoot and I didn't shoot because I was so enthralled with the dog work. Okay, I was so enthralled with that dog work and making sure that that dog did what he was supposed to do up to the point where he flushed the bird and after the bird was in the air that I didn't pay any attention to the bird. Um, Now, am I a bad hunter because of that? Am I a more ethical hunter because of that no that's just what works for me and and everybody has to find that equilibrium
1: but the most important part to you at that time was the
2: experience of watching. was the experience of that black dog there is no question about
0: that well for not being a bow hunter i think you pretty much summed what we're all about up all (laughs) together that was really good um you know and on that you you brought up the uh your I, I was in the shop the other day and i was picking your brain um and i'm sure i'm going to be doing that a lot in the future on some things but you brought up two analogies on fly fishing or picking flies and they were the garden and the cheeseburger and you were talking about fish being professional eaters can you explain those for our listeners yeah, yeah.
2: it it all comes back to and there there's a A couple things you have to buy into to to believe these analogies Um, but these are analogies that I teach and I think they have merit one is that fish are professional eaters they only eat what is natural in order to survive that's the first premise you have to buy in on second premise is a fish is gonna feed on what is the most abundant bait that is there There's no difference between fly fishing and conventional fishing except our lures and flies are a little different, okay? And how we cast is a little different. Fish are fish, they eat what they eat. So, the garden analogy is, you may have heard of match the hatch and all these insects and all these flies that are out there. Okay, think of your vegetable garden and because I'm here in Michigan, I'm gonna use Michigan analogies because I'm most familiar with them. But the first thing that comes off from our garden each year is asparagus. Followed by asparagus becomes this time of year. We're now in strawberry season, and people are picking strawberries. And then it's going to be cherries. And then after cherries, it kind of moves into a time where we start to see some peppers and tomatoes. And then it goes into sweet corn. And then as the fall comes on in the mid where we've got peaches and apples, uh, and then it comes into pumpkins. So that's kind of the progression of our harvest here in the state. Uh, And given the choice between three weeks ago eating fresh asparagus or sweet corn shipped in from some other location, most of us... Especially if we're into the farm and table movement, which I don't really understand because I grew up on a farm and that's all we ever did. But I guess it's trendy now. But we're going to eat asparagus. And then we're going to follow that with fresh strawberries, strawberry shortcake right now. Well, trout streams are the same way. Insects hatch, different insects hatch at a variety of time of the years. Starting here in Michigan, we start with black flies. And then we have Hendrickson's and bluing olives. And then what we call sulfur's, a little yellow mayfly. And then we go into our drake, our bigger fly, drakes and that. So if you think of it, they're just not flies. There are a variety of flies similar to your vegetable garden. And learn that process of what flies hatch certain times of the year. Then you have a larger than better opportunity, if you will, to be able to have the flies that those fish are going to be feeding on. Um, I mentioned Carl Richards uh, a little while ago. His book Selective Trout breaks down super hatches from the east to the midwest to the west and what bugs hatch what time of the year. Um, it's a great reference point and and that's really what Selective Trout brought to the table. So using that garden analogy as what we want or what we think of you know around mother's day here in michigan we're going to have the sulfur flies the yellow size 16 and size 18 flies this time of the year we've got the the hexes the giant michigan mayfly the hexagenia lumbata they're you know two and a half three inches long on the Asable the Pier marquette uh the manistee rivers so a fish is always going to feed on what is most readily available and the correct size where does size come into play with this this comes into the cheeseburger analogy (laughs) bear with me here Uh, hopefully no i'm 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 anxious to hear it (laughs) basically this this all comes together here in a bit but a trout stream is a giant conveyor belt that constantly brings food past our fish drifting from above to below you got to buy into that premise it's a giant conveyor belt that brings food past these fish and again they only want to feed on natural things that are the most abundant so now let's put the three of us in this analogy and there's a conveyor belt coming right past where we're recording and here comes a cheeseburger and I eat the cheeseburger it gives me the calories that I want it doesn't kill me I'm cool and here comes another cheeseburger. It gives me the calories that I want. It doesn't kill me. I'm getting kind of tuned in on cheeseburgers here. Here comes another cheeseburger. I eat that. Again, I get the calories I need. It doesn't kill me. Now comes the spicy chicken sandwich. It's on a bun. It's got lettuce and tomato. Maybe even has a little mayonnaise. But it's not that cheeseburger So I let it go past because it's not what is most abundant in what I have eaten before. Or here comes a triple cheeseburger, three times the size of what I've been eating. More calories, it's got bun, lettuce, tomato, cheese, onions, pickle, relish, the whole nine yards. But I let it go past because why? It's not the natural thing that I've been eating.
1: Okay, Glenn, I'm gonna and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's a good place to step in and yeah. and and ask a couple of questions. Now I'm gonna preface this with, I have caught some wild trout, um, West Coast and East Coast, but very few the majority of the of the trout fishing that, that I've done since I was a teenager is is stockfish, mm-hmm. okay? And everybody knows that stock fish are not as selective. So when you're when you're talking about the and I'm gonna give you some things that I've that I've done and then ask, you know, shed some light on why those things sometimes work and maybe it's just a, a fluke, but the the big the big sandwich analogy that you just threw out there and and saying that, you know, it's not what they're used to eating, so they'll let it go past. If I'm having, typically, if I'm having trouble catching fish, I do just the opposite. So I will switch to large streamers like Clousers, um, uh, Beadhead Woolly Boogers, um, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the fly, and I, it's uh, grasshopper imitations, mm-hmm. those kind of things. And typically, it's pretty successful. So is that simply because i'm not fishing in areas that have the the ecology of the trout stream that you're talking about where the the hatch is predictable and it's it's cyclic or is it something else?
2: no i i think that's to buy into this premise and and i should have explained that is you have to believe that there's an abundance of size 16 yellow flies coming off and if you fish a size 12 fly it's twice as large so it's the single to the triple um, in a case where there's not an abundance of aquatic insects, mayflies, caddisflies, whatever, then fishing, something like that, you could find a success. But uh, using your grasshopper analogy, we'll, we'll take this one step further. And I'm not saying that this doesn't happen all the time, but we know that grasshoppers catch fish. And a discussion. Ants cat fit catch fish. Mm -hmm. Crickets catch fish. But if you're fishing on the opening day of trout season in Michigan, which is always the last Saturday of April, where we can have snow on the ground, and you're fishing a grasshopper, when those fish haven't seen a grasshopper since last September i'm not saying that there's not a manic depressed suicidal fish that will eat that (laughs) son of a gun but i'm telling you the majority of the fish grasshoppers are not imprinted on their brain understood so that makes sense so when it comes back to sweet corn is in sweet corn season grasshoppers are in grasshopper season uh coming back to my my garden analogy as far as Clousers, woolly buggers, bait fish imitations, streamers go. Those will always catch fish, but the, the fish that are going to eat that are your alpha, aggressive, dominant fish there. You know, for every one fish that may eat a streamer, you may have to fish over eight, 10, 12 fish that aren't going to eat that. Where if you're in a match the hatch aquatic insect setting the majority of the fish are looking for that one buck, if that makes any sense to you.
1: No, it does, and, and I'm going to have to experience that one day because, you know, to date, I just – I haven't. Now, we have hatches. Mm-hmm. The, difference, the difference is we can have a hatch and – and then i'll tell you something that's even more ridiculous and funny but we can have a hatch and typically i'll tie on a a a 14 16 elk caddis and it doesn't matter what the hatch is as long as it's something that's floating and and you're not getting a weird drift on it they're gonna hit it um now the funny part of that story is i've got fly boxes after fly boxes that's full of every every type size uh dry fly imaginable And it really doesn't matter here for the for the most part for where I'm fishing. It just
2: yeah just doesn't matter. I I think that's uh, you know location specific. I'm a firm believer that the perfect fly with a bad presentation will not buy you any fish. Oh, I agree too. The wrong fly with a good presentation keeps you in the game. And you will have some opportunities. Um, It's all about presentation. Um, But again, trying to narrow that, that selection down, trying to narrow that selection down to where if the fish are feeding on size 16 caddis and you're fishing a 14 caddis or an 18 caddis, you're not right in the game. If the fish are feeding on a size 16 mayfly and you're fishing a size 12 mayfly or a size 20 mayfly you're not right in the game being able to to hone and focus in so we give ourselves the best opportunity that we can is kind of what the the garden and the cheeseburger analogy is is uh, supposed to describe
1: so basically in listening to all that what i've now decided is i'm i'm, I'm gonna have to sit down and start doing a lot more reading <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, you know, it's it, here. We can have you know. There are times you'll be on the streams and midges are all that'll work. Mm-hmm. And again, there are times that you'll see where, um, you know, they're they're pretty much hitting anything that that touches the water. And that's usually again in a hatch. But you're talking about fish that are um, that were that were raised, you know, in a uh, for for stocking. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like they're wild. Um, and muddler minnow. That was the name of the fly that I couldn't think of a while ago. But um, Anyway, very very cool information. It's 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 just one of those things. I guess I've never forced myself to sit down and 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 learn, but it it does make all make sense. This week on the passing down tradition segment, I want to take a few minutes to introduce everyone listening to a great website that I found earlier this week, and really the focus is related to taking a kid fishing there really is no better way to get a kid involved in the outdoors than to take him or her out with you fishing on a stream or a pond all it takes is a little planning and in most cases it costs very little to get started even if you as the adult do not already own fishing equipment any sporting goods or large department store will have entry-level options for both adults and kids and usually at very modest prices Now, if it turns out to be something you and your child want to do more often, then you can look into more expensive gear. But to get started, it's really more about just getting out there. Fishing builds confidence, a sense of pride, it strengthens relationships, and above all, gets kids outdoors and away from the world of electronic distractions that we all know too well. So the website I'm referring to is allaboutfishing.com. It can be found by going to www.aa-fishing.com and once there you'll find a treasure trove of information by state on fish species available as well as more information about the state itself, locations for fishing, fish size expectations, and more. Most importantly, if you scroll to the bottom of the home page, you'll see links for almost every state in the Union where you can then select your home state and you'll be taken to a page specifically about the state you wish to research. Now once you're on that page, off to the left you'll find a row of columns that you can click on and one of those will be for kid fishing in that state. Following this link will provide you a list of locations that are better options for taking a kid, and then after your trip, you can even return to the site and upload success photos, which I can promise you, your kid will enjoy doing that. So if you've been putting off taking your kid fishing because you were not sure where to start... Or if you've already been fishing with your child but are just looking for uh, a new adventure or something new to try, then I highly recommend you head over and check out the website and see what new adventure you might find there to plan for. With that, I wish you and your child a safe and fun time on the water. I hope you find a new and exciting adventure for both of you to share. Now let's get back to Glenn.
2: You know, and the thing of it is, is it necessary? Okay? Okay is it really necessary in a lot of ways and this is going to sound really stupid coming from a guy that owns a fly shop okay (laughs) i think a lot of in our sport today and we talk about being outside and how important of it is and and all of that the experience of it with all the knowledge that's out there today in book form on the internet, social media, whatever the scenario is, there's a heck of a lot more reasons not to go outside and go fishing or not to go outside and chase birds or not to go outside and go bow hunting than there is too. It's too hot, it's too cold, the wind's the wrong way, the water's too high, the water's too low. I can give you all the, all the reasons in the world for people to do other things. And knowledge is a big part of that because we think that we were dialed in, okay? But I'll always tell you this, you'll never catch a fish or kill a deer watching the six o'clock news. I, I agree 100 percent. and the best example of that is is i've got a, a really good friend who lives here in michigan and he's a diesel mechanic okay and he's a heck of an outdoorsman uh, i can tell you he's he's right there he's top notch and a few years ago It was right after the deer opener here in Michigan. And he came home from work and he was tired and he had all his fancy deer hunting scent clothes, which I don't understand and I'm not trying to trivialize it, I don't understand, hanging outside on the rack to air so he could go. And he walks in the house and his wife says, I thought you were going to hunt tonight. He says, ah, it's a little warm, it's a little thing. And he sits down and kicks off his boots and she says, you know, we're never going to have venison if you're watching the 6 o'clock news. And it kind of ticked him off. <laughs> to hear him tell the story, it, he wouldn't have used ticked off. But I don't know who's listening, so I'm trying to be Christian here. But anyway, <laughs> so he grabs his bow, and now he's in jeans that have diesel fuel all over him. And they're stained. And the shirt that he worked in, and he throws on this kind of camouflage lightweight hooded sweatshirt and he walks behind his house and he lives in this little wooded area and he's got a tree stand that's all about two foot off the ground that he put up there for his father who was elderly at the time his dad's now deceased but he put up there for his father because his father he could stand get up there in it without having to climb up in the tree He says, I better see if that thing's sturdy enough for my dad to stand on or sit on. And he crawls up in it, and he's sitting there, and he's there for all about 10 minutes, and he hears a snap. And he looks up and hears a really nice, really nice, broad, beyond-the-ears buck, nice, solid beams on it. It was a 10-point. And he goes, and he doesn't even have an arrow knocked. He's just standing there. And he goes, and the deer goes behind the tree. He knocks his bow. Deer steps out. He whacks it. Pass through shot. Deer goes. Realizes it's a good shot. He gets out of, walks over, picks up his arrow, walks up to the house. And this is all in the time that the local news hasn't gone to the national news. And he walks into his house and his wife says, I told you, we're never going to eat venison if you're watching the news. And he says, look here at this bloody arrow. I'm going to get the four-wheeler. I'll be back in 10 minutes. And he was back up. The buck was hanging. Okay? Now, is it luck? Is it he was in the right place at the right time? He'll tell you that everything about that was wrong he wasn't gonna hunt because it was too warm he wasn't gonna hunt because he was tired he wasn't gonna hunt because the wind was wrong and he still managed to walk down the hill stand in a tree and kill a nice wild michigan buck a mature buck so the long way around the barn on this sometimes we think we know too much and we don't go the wind's wrong it's too warm tonight we're not going to have bugs on the river this that the only way to tell what's going to happen is to be in the game and that's to be outside so when you say reading more to understand it i think that's all good to a point point. But sometimes that point starts tilting to the other way. Uh, Go ahead,
1: Steve. No, I was just going to say, I'm sorry, Nick, I'll let you you jump in here. I admit, first of all, it's never kept me from going fishing. It's one of those things that I could probably do when, for whatever reason, I just can't go that I haven't. But if I'm honest with myself, uh, that's the reason I typically fish streamers and nymphs more is just because I've never... I've never studied it enough to pay attention to it, and uh, again, uh, part of that's because I just haven't had to.
2: Well, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in order to play the game, you got to be outside.
0: Yep, that's like that. You can't kill him from the couch saying, "You always here." Um, and I had that same thing Sunday. I wasn't going to go fishing, and uh, everybody said it was too hot, too humid. You know, in Father's Day, I wanted, I really wanted to go out, and I wanted to go fishing. So I went out about, I decided finally at about 6.30, and the reason why is because um, at around 3.30, I said, you know, and Steve, this is pretty funny, but I said, you know what, I'm going to text Tom, see what Tom would do. And I said, you know, I've you know, i read that, you know, a certain time is bad if you're fishing and whatnot, you're not going to get many bites, you can stress the fish, whatever. And Tom said, I fish when I can, it's true, but I would say go. You just gotta fish when you can. And I went and I had a blast. And now I didn't I nymphed the whole time I caught four or five trout, but it was it was great. And I if I would have stayed out longer, I think I'd have had a real good time, you know, as it continued to cool down into the night. But that's so true. I mean, nothing ever happens unless you actually do it. And when you don't have that much time, you you gotta go. You know.
1: So so, so Glenn, I I'll be honest, I was doing some of the uh just a little research looking at different things online um about you and i, I was torn about it whether or not to even bring this up but you you kind of opened the door on it with you know if you can go fishing go fishing um so <laughs> it it based on what i based on what i read across it looks like there was at least one one situation that you've been in in the past where you probably shouldn't have been on the water fishing um you know what i'm talking about
2: uh, are you talking about getting struck by lightning <laughs> i am I, I'd <laughs> oh like to, gee where did I'd you like come up hear, with this one uh i'd like to hear a little bit more about that this is uh and and i'm glad you brought it up uh because there's a message here no one needs to learn from my stupidity yes i've been struck by lightning uh it's a a terrible experience um no one should go through this um i have lost a a significant part of my hearing because of it and for outdoorsmen the most important thing that you have is your ears you may not think that you may not pay attention to that but if i was going to counsel one thing to young people that are listening today Protect your ears and I don't mean protect your ears by wearing shooting protectors when you shoot I'm talking about earbuds and music and concerts and all of that Because I lost significant hearing in both ears and When you're again using a trout fishing analogy Where on, you're on a bubbling babbling trout stream and it's getting dusk and a fish feeds your ears help you locate it more than your eyes, especially if you're night fishing with our hexes. It's your ears that point you to that. If you're grouse hunting and you're in thick tag alders, or you're in a popple stand and a bird flushes, it's your ears that direct you to that. My ears don't do that anymore. And I got 20, 30 years, I hope, of good fishing and shooting ahead of me. And my ears are only going to get worse because I was stupid. But anyway, so take care of your hearings, the first thing. That and sun protection, I'm going to put sun protection in the same thing. Um, We talk more about it now, and there's great clothing out there. But sun protection is another thing that that everybody needs to be aware of. Um, Skin cancer is a pretty nasty thing. Um, Anyway. A few years back we were going out east to pennsylvania it was august it was a week before a family reunion i had miss kathleen and the kids with me it was tricho times trichos are really small mayflies that hatch in the morning and it was going to be great i was going to fish every morning get done fishing be back by the time the kids woke up had breakfast spend time with the kids on our way out we get to kind of like toledo and from toledo to state college six hours it just it's a toad strangler i mean it's just dumping rain the creek gets blown out and ugly not fishable days are 75 80 degrees beautiful i'm thinking the creek's gonna get better that night another thunderstorm comes in and it dumps rain all night the creek's worse next day 75 80 degrees beautiful next night another thunderstorm comes in the creek's blown it's I i'm not fishing again why am i not fishing because the creek's blown and high and the fishing's not going to be any good and i got family i'm making a bunch of excuses so this goes on for several days the friday night and now you got to picture this it's friday it, it stops raining like on thursday or uh, Wednesday night doesn't rain Thursday Friday is there Saturday is the family reunion I'm coming home Sunday so the only time I can fish is Friday afternoon and my dad and I go to the creek and the water's high but murky but there's some fish feeding Um, and I catch a few fish and there's some bugs starting to come off and we got to drive back across the mountain which really isn't a big mountain but it's back across the mountain where our house is for dinner and we're just grilling out on the deck because my mom and sister and wife everybody's making stuff for the family reunion the next day and I leave my waiters on I tell my dad I'm going to just drop him off choke down a hot dog I'm going to go back and fish because it's my last chance which is what I do when I start back up over the mountain and it starts raining and it's raining like skull-sized raindrops. I mean, these are like bigger than Oreo cookies. It's just dumping. But I got raincoats. I got waders. I'm cool. Maybe it'll blow over and I keep going to the crick. And I get to the crick, and it kind of dissipates a little bit. And I get out and grab my rod and all of a sudden there's a crack of lightning. And it's to the north and east of me. And I count 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004. It's like seven miles away. I'm cool. I keep fishing. And all of a sudden, there's another crack. And again, it's to the north and east of me. And this time, it's like I count to like 1,009. And I'm convinced that the storm is going to the north and east, and I'm looking over my shoulder to the south and west, and it's kind of misty and rainy i mean it's not dry by any stretch of the imagination but the bulk of the storms going the other way and i'm cool and i catch three or four fish five fish i don't know and i finally hook a fish and i'm fishing these little size 20 blue wing olive emergers and it's dumping rain it's raining a little harder and i break the fly off as i'm With my forceps, if I'm trying to get the fly out of the fish's mouth, it it breaks off my tippet, and I go, that's it, I'm done. And I turn around, and I see arguably the largest flash of light I've ever seen in my life, and I got bit. And I get knocked down in the water, and I get knocked unconscious, and uh, I come to, and my rod's exploded, and my upper body feels like I've thrown like 10,000 bales of straw. So it it actually hit your fly rod. I I was by myself, and no one else was around. We surmised there was a big tree where my truck was parked. Um, And it hit the tree, and we surmised that a a step down is what hit my rod, not the full bolt. If it had been the full bolt, uh, we wouldn't be doing this interview, most likely. Um, But my rods blown to all get out. Um, and I'm wiggling my fingers and toes and checking all sorts of body parts, making sure that I'm actually alive. And I get to my truck, and I can't, my truck's got a big log. I mean, a big portion of this tree. It's on Spring Creek. Um, if people in Pennsylvania are listening, if you see a big tree that's had the top blown off in a lightning storm, uh, in that riffle there, that's exactly where I was below paradise. Um, anyway. I sit in my truck and literally wiggling my fingers and toes and, like I said, seeing if I was okay to, to make it home. And eventually I drove up over the mountain, but I didn't realize my hearing was screwed up. Um, and that was the telltale sign to my family because I couldn't hear anything uh, when I got back to the house. Um, but the, the moral of the story is anytime it's that close – don't play stick put your rod down get away if i'd have fished two or three days if i'd have fished one time that week prior to that night when it started raining you know oreo cookie skull can size raindrops i'd have turned around and went home but it was that pent up demand and desire that this was my last opportunity i may be able to do it i pushed the envelope i was for certain that that storm was going to the north and east of us and it wasn't the case. So So the moral of the story is if you can,
1: if you can get don't out be and fish, stupid. get out and fish. But <laughs> not, n- n- yeah, not, not
2: if it yeah. puts you in, in you know. Because, uh, I mean, there's heart arrhythmias and all sorts of things that that come with this stuff that oh. none of you folks want to have. Um, now, how long ago was well, that? Oh, let's ending? see. Uh, my son's 18 and I think it—he'll be 19 in uh, the end of July, and I think it was right before his ninth birthday, so about 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I think about 10 years ago. But uh, that was good research to come up with that one. I got to tell you, I'm—I'm dolefully impressed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it's, uh, I guess you can you can say that somebody was, was wanting you to hang around for, well, for something because that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing you know, if you
2: survived that. And along those lines, again, I can go off on lots of things. and I'm probably boring all your readers to, to, to death here. Don't underestimate. Uh, again, a few minutes ago I said you're never going to kill a deer watching the 6 o'clock news and you need to be outside, and that's true. But don't underestimate the dangers that are out there where you are because there are inherent dangers that we take for granted. If we didn't, we'd never step outside the door. And is it more dangerous to drive your car to work each day? Yes. But you need to pay attention to lightning, and you need to pay attention to high water, and you need to pay attention to, you know, where I fish in Pennsylvania, there's rattlesnakes, and there's black bears. Or if you're in Alaska, grizzlies. Or And again, I'm not trying to put all these things out there that will scare you to death. But use some common sense and always let somebody know where you are. Um, even if you're hunting by yourself, put a note on your dashboard saying, you know, this is where I am, and this is where I'm going to be back. Let us your wife, significant other, brother, sister, mother, dad, I don't care, let them know where you are, uh, because stupid things happen. And we hear about it all the time, and we think that it, well, geez, poor Joe. Um, well, that's what I thought, and it's happened to me. Um, you know, uh, another one along those lines... I was fishing this little brook trout stream years ago, and again in Pennsylvania. And this old-timer, a uh, cousin of my dad's, told me a back way to get into this little creek. And it was kind of like you park at the two-track where the dry wash is, and you walk down to the ridge, and then you turn to the the west, to the. you come to the pile of slate, and you drop down over the hit ridge till you come to the three oak trees, and then you turn, and you come to the creek so the next morning i pick up pack a bag have some water a sleeve of soda crackers can of sardines a couple beers and hike in there and i have a great day fishing an absolute great day fishing and i get back and there stash those cold beers kind of in the spring seep and have a couple beers and now i'm walking out and i step on a ground hornet's nest and I got ground horn- hornets that are flying down my hip boots, up my shorts, all around me. I'm running blindly through the woods, get stung a bunch of time, put all this venom into my body, get woozy, pull out my first aid kit, pop a couple of Dramamine, sit down, kind of doze off, wake up a few minutes later. Now, the only problem is is that I walked in the dry wash down to the ridge turned to the west, went to the pile of slate down to the three oak trees to the creek and I did have a compass with me. Always carry a compass I don't care what you do I don't care if you're 10 minutes from your truck, carry a compass and if you're 15 minutes from your truck carry your compass, a piece of fleece and a rain shell I'm not trying to be a wimp here but sage advice but anyway but I have no idea which way I ran I have no idea if I ran north, south, east or west all I know is is that I've got a road that's to the east of me and I got a road that's to the south of me and I just start taking kind of a southeast bearing and going okay this doesn't look familiar I think I'm going a little too far east da, 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 da. Long story short, I came out about 400 yards from my truck. Um, but if it had been worse, hell, there was nobody that knew where I was. I mean, I was in the middle of nowhere. Nobody had any... I mean, maybe if I didn't show up for four or five days, Mr. Hall would have said, oh, well, I told him to go in here. But nobody had any idea where I was. And, and that's why I just... As simple as a note on your windshield, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to be back. You may think it's silly, but uh, in the long run, it, it may be uh, pretty sage advice.
1: Well, and I and I agree with you. I'm uh, and I. It's kind of funny you're talking about some of this, and I imagine um, you've got you've probably gotten more cautious as you've gotten older, and I think that's just again inherent nature but i i hunt um mostly hunting i I typically get well off the beaten trail um and for uh, for as long as i can remember um i let my wife know where i'm going when i get to where i'm going i send her a a gps location for where i'm at um, if i have service and most of the time i do but it it is good advice i mean because anything can happen and it's and the the exposure and the shock is what typically will 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 kill you it's not necessarily what what may have happened but if you if you can't get out or somebody can't get to you in time you're yeah daughter.
2: i mean it's just so. uh silly things happen and 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 i guess i i put myself in peril more times than i should just because i was headstrong or obstinate which aren't really good traits um but i guess there's some i have <clears throat> well, Glenn, I'm going to take
1: you away from, from the trout fishing for, for just a little bit. We're, we're kind of getting towards the, the, the end of our hour. I don't want to keep you any, any longer than we need to, but I did want to ask you. Um, so you've mentioned that you're an upland bird hunter uh, a couple times through this, and one of the things that I had in my head that I wanted to ask you was, if for any reason um, tomorrow you had to choose to do one or the other between fly fishing and upland bird hunting for the rest of your life, which one would you choose?
2: Oh, for the rest of my life or one time? Because Um. I got to look at this because, um, (laughs) uh, let me answer the question in, in two different ways, um, for the last few years. I don't know 20 some plus 25 plus years I made my life in the fly fishing business and I have no qualms I've been very blessed and I wouldn't trade it for the world but when you make your passion your occupation and you do it five six whatever days a week you need a distraction and that's where the the bird hunting comes in uh, training dogs running dogs it's it's not about actually shooting grouse and woodcock it's about the dog work to me um, along those lines but if you told me that I was gonna die tomorrow and I could do one thing in my life I hate to say this but uh, I'd probably kick my family to the curb and uh, I'd want to be on a trout stream I'd want to be having selective wild brown trout feeding on size 16 18 mayflies preferably spinners they don't have to be huge fish they just have to be wild and they just have to be selectively eating and I got to see if I have enough uh, uh, gumption if you will to be able to fool them and catch them Uh, that's to me that's the epitome of sport it's the epitome of man versus nature and when I say that That's my epitome. I'm not saying that fly fishing's better than X or bow hunting or Y or whatever. Uh, That's what I'd say trips my trigger to sound trite. Um, But I'd wanna have wild trout on a cold water trout stream selectively eating small bugs. If you told me that I had to do one or the other for my remaining years. My short-term answer would probably be continuing training and running gun dogs because the nature and the dynamics of of dog work. But the longevity of fishing is probably longer. And so I, uh, you know, I pride myself on we hunt some, some we hunt pretty hard. Um, and and I, I'm not trying to be boastful here, but I'm the type of guy that you have limited days that I have limited days where I can be in the grouse and woodcock woods in October and early November in Michigan and I'm going to take advantage of every single one of those minutes that I can. So my concept of a, a, a hunting lunch is a fricking bologna sandwich and a Gatorade between grouse spots doing 80 miles an hour to get to the next spot, 70 miles an hour. Um, cause sometimes we're on two tracks and I don't want to think that I'm aggressively driving there. But, uh, so, but, once you get to a certain age, you, you physically can't do that anymore, or you can't do that as well anymore. But you still can fly cast, whether it's in the front of the drift boat or, or whatever. So, God, that's a long way around the barn again to, to answer well, hey, that. Hey, that's a
1: hard question. That, well, there's... there's I'm sorry. There's, there's two things I'll say there, Glenn. Well, uh, one is you, you managed to find a way to um, twist my question around so that you get to do both. <laughs> and, and the other thing I'll say is I'm glad I asked it the way I did instead of asking you if you could only do one uh, tomorrow. Because now you're the one that's got to go and explain uh, to your family why you, you answered the
2: way you, you did. You <laughs> know, my family already owns that. You know, one of the we t- we we talked about books did. earlier on, and there's a classic Gene Hill story, um, and I, I can't remember what book it's in right now, but again, this one of those classic stories where uh, he, there's this guy in his deathbed, and he's he's kind of pulled his family all around and he's apologizing that instead of sending his kids to the the private schools he sent his dogs away to be trained by a professional trainer and be field trialed and instead of going to disney world or some family vacation he went atlantic salmon fishing there and and he goes through this litany of things that looking back on his life he uh, he's done and and then the gentleman takes a deep breath and says, but then on the other hand, I have shot a hell of a lot of birds and caught a lot of fish. <laughs> so uh, not right, not wrong, not different, but th- there is some macabre uh, humor to that. So,
0: Well, let me ask you this, and not to beat a dead horse on this one, but do you think your answer to that question would change... If you didn't work in fly fishing for a living. (laughs) I mean, anything anything we do, whenever you kind of turn your passion into work, you know, it it changes over time. And like you said, you needed that release. You know, I I, I
2: certainly... I I don't know if it would, because I still came back to that. There is something incredibly... To me, and, and I'm being personal and candid here there's something incredibly therapeutic and Zen like religious about moving water Uh, especially cold mountain trout water Um, and I've said for years and, and this may seem philosophical or metaphysical or you know whatever And my grandfather said the same thing. And my dad said the same thing. We go to the river really not to catch trout. Uh, That may be an added bonus. Um, Or is an added bonus if if you succeed. But we go to the river for the magic of it. For the tactfulness of it. It is so... A cold trout stream is the most sensual, tactical, sensual thing that you can find. You, you have cold temperatures that are chilling your legs. You have momentum and force and velocity that are pushing against you. Mother Nature is, is shoving you every step that you take. You have the audibleness of the water breaking over a rock or coursing around a bend or dumping into a plunge pool or, or whatever the scenario is. You have the visualness of a fish feeding or the visualness of the surrounding areas. It is so sensory filled and impactful. And again, in, in my views and not saying they're a hundred percent right, but nothing else that I do, nothing else, and again, you've got aromas of the river and of laurel or whatever's going on. Nothing else that I know of combines temperature and force and audibleness and visualness and and all of those sensories touch and feel combined as it is when you're standing in the middle of a trout stream um, it's a dynamic overload of the senses um, and that's why we miss fish uh, because there's so much stuff going on and uh, and again it doesn't have catching the fish you can use say it's the icing on the cake or you can use whatever trite antidote that you want to with that it's that soulfulness that you know religious aspect that that the river draws you to my grandfather was a deeply 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 religious individual um. and he didn't curse he didn't swear he was a very diminutive man he had like size eight feet and he might have weighed a buck 35 sopping wet much different than i in all accounts he was a he was the quintessential gentleman uh which unfortunately i am not but two things that stick out in my mind one story that i tell about him is one uh one sunday morning we had gone out east to pennsylvania and we'd arrived on a saturday which is not what we typically did but for some reason we arrived on a saturday and um and this was back before highways and it took us all day to get out there um and uh, we got up in the, there's this little methodist church in unionville pennsylvania where my grandparents went to baptized as kids they got married in it was the quintessential little church in this little town where they grew up and my grandmother says something about going to church and my grandfather says no glenn robert and i are going to go up and fish better run and she says well what will the Lord say about that? And my grandfather said, I've never been as close to God as when I was on a trout stream. Excuse me. I'm getting emotional here. Um, but uh, getting past the emotions, the more humorous side of the coin is later in his life, he had some vertigo issues. And he wasn't supposed to drive, and he wasn't supposed to change in an elevation, and, and all of these things. And we were supposed to go fishing. Again, back to Center County, PA. And, uh, But he's going to go. And so uh, here we are, getting ready to leave and loading up the car. His old Osmobile 98, uh, four-door sedan, kind of a tan color. About the color of the coffee cup that I got sitting here on the table. and Anyway, my grandmother goes, James Glenn, you'd go on this fishing trip come hell or high water. And my grandfather retorted, hell yes, high water, well, we'd just have to see how bad the stain was. And we got in the car and we drove away. <laughs> Honest guy, we got in the car and we drove away. And he looked at me and I had just turned 16 and I was driving because he wasn't supposed to drive he said uh, how much time you got and i was like 16 years old i'm with my grandfather i said well i got all the time in the world he says well it may take her a couple weeks to calm down after that one (laughs) and we stayed in fish for two weeks honest to goodness um but uh, again uh, this may sound sappy or or whatever But it goes back to the importance of being outside. It goes back to the importance of mentors. It goes back to the importance of uh, the historical significance of this. You know? Um, Because that's where the epicenter is. It's not about the fish. It's, It's not about, you know... It's not about me shooting another grouse over my black dog it's about the opportunity that my black dog through his genetic instincts and what little i've done to train him has the opportunity to flush that bird and retrieve that bird because that's what he was bred to do it's not about you know whatever it's the the end result is the end result you know as Orgasid ortega said the end result of hunting is the kill but that is not the end result of the hunter and i'm paraphrasing that quote uh, the great spanish philosopher uh in meditations of hunting wrote that um but you know the the end of hunting is the kill but that is not the end of the hunter um eh, you know and maybe that's a sappy way of looking at it but it's the way that i do
1: well glenn i'll go back to what you were saying um and this is from my own personal experience but i would almost challenge anyone to try it and see if they don't come to the same conclusion but you know i can i can be in a deer stand and i i I live breathe sleep drink eat deer hunting i mean it's just it's it's everything to me but I can sit in a tree stand i can walk through the woods i can be um squirrel hunting doesn't matter anything i do in the outdoors if i've got um if i've got something that's that's worrying me something that's troubling me i've got you know urgencies in my life i will end up thinking about them but you cannot do that on a trout stream but i mean it's just it's impossible to think about other things that are not Good or not positive or not wholesome. You just, uh, I can't. At least I can't do it. I, I've never, I've never spent a day in the water that I was that I was angry or, or yeah, worried about it's anything. It's just
2: the sensory overload of it all. Like I said, all those tactical yeah. senses that uh, are bombarding you all at the same time yeah, makes uh, it pretty special.
0: I'll add to that. I've never felt. I mean, all, all I've done is is like live, eat, sleep, write about longbows. You know, since you know i was 27 I'm, I'm 36 now so i'm still young into this whole thing but i've never felt anything as wild as being in a river no matter where i've hunted that just that really hit with me or it struck home with me when you said that because it's true like you feel like you're totally at the mercy of something Let like you're yet you're standing tall and you're you're connected with everything um so that's that's great
1: well well glenn we have uh We've, we've kept you tied up and away from away from your store and potentially away from your family for for probably long enough um, I, I want to tell you how much I've enjoyed talking to you and I do truly look forward to, to meeting you one day soon. Thank you so much for Well,
2: for not a problem. Thank you for the invitation and uh, I hope uh, your audience uh, hasn't been too b- bored by my pontifications No way. No way
1: No way whatsoever and if anybody is, is interested in and In looking into uh, Glenn's uh, Fly Fishing Company more, it's, it's Great Lakes Fly Fishing Company, and that can be found on the web at troutmore, That's troutmoor.net, and I strongly recommend you do so. Glenn, thank you so much. You have a great rest of your day, and Nick, I will be talking to you soon.